Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The Natural Man Podcast is intended as general information for educational purposes only and should not be construed as medical advice or a diagnosis of any kind or as a substitute for medical treatment. The information provided in this podcast is not meant to replace the advice of or treatment by any physician. Do not rely upon any information to replace consultations or advice received by qualified health professionals regarding your own specific situation. If you suspect that you have a medical problem, you are urged to seek competent medical help. The Natural Man Podcast and its representatives and agents disclaim any liability for any negative or other medical or other outcome that may occur as a result of acting on or not acting on any information contained in the podcast. The views and opinions expressed by the host and all guests are their own, and their appearance on this podcast and at the website of the Natural Man Podcast does not imply any endorsement of them or any entity they represent and does not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the Natural Man Podcast. This is the Natural Man Podcast. So welcome back. We're here for another episode. Uh, Today we're going to talk about gut health, weight loss, and health coaching, Um, primarily gut health. And it's funny, that's not really a topic we've touched on too much in the past, um, but it's just such a crucial issue in functional medicine. So our guest today also hosts a podcast called The Perfect Stool. I absolutely love that name. That made me just click on it and start listening, and I couldn't stop. Um, she's, uh, got a very informative podcast on all things related to gut health. Uh, she's extremely knowledgeable about digestive health and we're really happy to have her on today. Welcome Lindsay Parsons. Lindsay, thanks for being here today. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Like so many of us, you came into this kind of work through a health challenge and I know I'm familiar with your story and I've, I've read this stuff on your website. Um, but just for our listeners who may not be familiar, what put you on this path? Well, I did have a variety of health challenges, and sometimes it's hard to unwind exactly where it all started. But in retrospect, I believe that it all started when I lived in Costa Rica for a year and a half, and I got food poisoning a couple times. And what can happen when you get food poisoning is your body actually mounts a defense against the bacteria. And in so doing, it also starts to mount a defense against your own body and a protein called vinculin, which helps with the migrating motor complex, which is what clears our food out of our small intestine and sort of moves things along. And when that protein is attacked, you stop having smooth waves of, of clearing and you start accumulating bacteria in your small intestine. This is something called small intestine bacterial overgrowth or SIBO. And I got SIBO and I didn't realize it. And a lot of people have it and don't realize it. But what they have is bloating after every meal. And they just think, oh, maybe I'm sensitive to this or that or I ate too much or whatever. But you shouldn't bloat after every meal. And I had that for so many years. And what happens then is that you've got this, you know, excess of bacteria stagnating in your intestines. And then that creates, I mean, that, and then of course, it's, it's also a dysbiosis, meaning a imbalance of bacteria in the gut. And the bacteria create a leaky gut because they're 
imbalanced and there's typically too many of gram negative bacteria which are which create inflammation in the body inflammation being an immune response to what's leaking out of your gut and that then can open the door to autoimmunity and so i ended up getting hashimoto's thyroiditis which is an autoimmune attack on your thyroid i was also diagnosed at this sim- similar time with pernicious anemia which often comes along with SIBO, which is an inability of your body to digest vitamin B12 because there's also an autoimmune attack on uh, the parietal cells lining your stomach, which are necessary for producing something called intrinsic factor, which is necessary for digesting B12. And I was also diagnosed with a third autoimmune disease called ITP, but have since had that diagnosis rescinded. So I don't know if I ever had it or not, but it's an autoimmune attack on your platelets. So all at once, I was diagnosed basically with three autoimmune diseases. And then it wasn't until I saw a functional medicine provider who diagnosed me with SIBO and started treating that, that I started turning things around. I had also had other concomitant things like endometriosis and infertility and, you know, that, that actually that had all preceded these diagnoses, which was the first sign that things were not going right with my health. But, you know, I wasn't seeing any sort of holistic person who could look at the root causes and instead was just being treated for, you know, the obvious symptoms of those problems. Yeah, such a familiar story for so many of us, right? Yeah. Um, that, that is, so this, this all is attributed, like all that you described that you went through and dealt with is all, you attribute all that to food poisoning? I do. And in fact, a lot of people have this, this is, it's called post-infectious IBS. And there is a test you can do to, to figure out if you have it. It's called the IBS smart test. So if you have, you know, recurrent episodes of bloating and digestive problems from constipation to diarrhea, to loose stool, you may have this post-infectious IBS, which means that even if you clear it up, it's going to keep coming back, which means you have to think about tools like something called prokinetics to treat it and keep it from continuing to be a problem or at least postpone to some extent how long it'll take for it to return. So so this is not something you can just fix on a, a low FODMAP diet or a candida diet. This, this sounds way more complex. Well, this is true. If you have post-infectious IBS, you know, treating it and continuing to try and stay away from any sources of contaminated food, just making sure every you're following the best hygiene practices for food storage and reheating, etc., so that you don't expose yourself to the bacteria that tend to cause SIBO over and over again, because you already have a tendency to for stagnation in your small intestine. Uh, so, so we're talking Klebsiella, E. coli, things like that that um, that are going to come with with me, even low level food poisoning, right? So you might go to a restaurant with three people and they're totally fine and you have diarrhea the next day. Why is that? Because just a little bit of bacteria can set off something for you because you have that stagnation in the small intestine. So yeah, it's not something you get rid of overnight, but the more you continue to monitor it and keep things moving as well as you can with prokinetics and periodically killing off bacteria in your small intestine using herbal antimicrobials, the more likely you know, you won't have the, the more dire consequences, which is the autoimmunity. Right. And you said prokinetics. Is that mm-hmm. like a probiotic or is no. that something different? It is. 
a motility agent for the small intestine. So a lot of people think of when you talk about motility, you think about the large intestine and constipation, but this is yeah. about the small intestine. So there are certain prescription medications and then certain non-prescription um, herbal supplements that help with movement of the small intestine. So ginger is, is a big one. Uh, artichoke extract helps with stomach emptying and then there are and then there's 5-HTP that helps in particular with movement of of the intestines but it also can loosen your stool so better more for people with constipation and then there's a lot of mm -hmm. combo herbal products with these with these substances in them or certain formulations of these substances to make them less bothersome because sometimes ginger can be kind of burny in the stomach and that's yeah. and there's products like um Prokine or Motility Activator or um Let's see what are the other names of motility complex. I think there's a there's a bunch of them that are, yeah. are prokinetics. Do you find that the nutraceutical versions of those prokinetics are better than the per, the, the pharmaceutical versions as far as how they work? And I have results? not had any experience with the pharmaceutical ones. So I think a, okay. one big one is Motegrity or Procalipride. And that that's and there's also low dose urethromycin. I, I don't have any experience with them because I'm not a medical doctor. I can't prescribe things. So right. I don't actually and I haven't had a doctor who was willing to, you know, experiment with those with me. So I don't yeah, I don't have any experience with those. So you offer gut health coaching services. Mm -hmm. um, obviously you've been down this journey, which is uh I mean it's it's mind blowing. I mean, just the the, the discoveries and the connections that you were able to make. Um, I can't imagine how effective you are as a coach to help people through this because uh, you've you've been through the ringer and you've come out on the other side. Uh, sounds to me victorious. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, tell me about your gut coaching services, like your gut health coaching services. Like, how does it work exactly? Well, typically people will set up a free 30-minute session with me just to talk about what they've been dealing with. And I'll just get an idea of whether they've already tried every tool in my toolbox. And it's rare that they have, but a lot of people have seen many functional medicine providers even before they come to me and still have not found a solution to their problems. So in any case, we have that first 30-minute discussion just to see if it's a good fit. And then I recommend a certain number of sessions, however long I think it's going to take to resolve their issues. And then from there, I will meet with them usually and take a medical history. And then I'll recommend certain gut tests or uh, organic acids tests or nutrient tests to gauge, you know, depending on this condition, because people come to me with things yeah. much more complex than just gut health issues, because inevitably, if you have gut health issues, your the rest of your health starts to deteriorate if you've let it go yeah. on long enough. So people sometimes have things like chronic fatigue or um, headaches or mental health issues or many things that will ultimately stem from the gut health. So depending on what they have, I might recommend certain tests and then they'll order them. Then we'll meet again. We'll go over the results of the tests. I'll explain what it means and educate them in a way that no doctor does, right? The doctor looks at the test, they make a decision, they prescribe something. I sit down and I yeah. go marker by marker and I say, this is what this means. This is what this means. And these are more, you know, markers of nutrition, markers of you know, organic acids, which are the metabolites of digestion and of bacterial and fungal, you know, uh, microorganisms in your body. And mm -hmm. I will explain what they mean. And then I'll explain what, you know, different supplements will apply to that situation, what the protocols are that other 
uh, doctors or naturopaths use in these situations. And yeah, and they go from there. And then we, you know, we meet periodically, I answer emails in between. So I'm just, it's sort of a high touch thing. So right, if you're, if you're dealing yeah. with a doctor, you've got your, maybe your 15 minutes, right? Or maybe it's more like seven. Yeah. And they yeah, if you're lucky. glance at your chart as they walk in the door. They have a discussion with you. They make a decision. They walk out and you're dead to them, right? Until the next time yeah. you walk in the door. Yeah. <laughs> My people, I'm emailing them, yeah. you know, as often as they need. I'm checking in every few weeks. I'm in constant yeah. contact with them. I'm spending an hour plus, sometimes two hours preparing for an appointment, an hour following up on it. So it's a very high touch, you know, involvement in a way that a doctor isn't. And I'm trying to think of all the things that go into their situation and pull them together to try and help them find the best solutions. Right. And so talk about the most common underlying causes of gut distress that you see when you're you're dealing with your clients. So I would say they usually range from heavy past antibiotic use to an episode of severe stress in their life to an episode of food poisoning. Sometimes other medications play into it. Sometimes I think steroids play into it steroids yeah you know any kind of wow. steroidal drug given for anti-inflammation of some sort wow sometimes can hmm. set off gut health issues so and and then sometimes things like ppis like maybe they had some acid reflux and it wasn't that serious but then the ppis were used for an extended period of time which can then lead to problems and so how do those things lead to problems like the steroid use and the ppis like is that do do the the substances in those pharmaceuticals impact the microbiome? Yeah, well, so, so steroids will bring up your blood sugar, for example, so that can increase yeast in your body and can lead to candida overgrowth. Uh, the PPIs decrease your stomach acid, which opens you up to gut pathogens, so that can lead to dysbiosis. Uh, they can also sometimes cause a, cause a decrease in stomach acid that, ex that persists. So that can, you know, when you have no your stomach acid is your first line of defense against gut pathogens and they're inevitably coming in all the time they're coming in through our sinuses they're coming in through our food and if you don't have that gut line of defense then things yeah. go downhill and that's actually sort of the same way that not not through stomach acid but how stress impacts the gut because you have as you as your your stress increases your cortisol and it starts to lower your defenses, and you end up with a low level of secretory IgA, which is the immunoglobulin that protects our mucus line surfaces in our body. It's the first line of defense. And I see a lot of clients who have low levels of secretory IgA, and from there, they're just not protected from pathogens, and then things go right. downhill from there. Um, do you see aging is ever a factor? I mean, if somebody's aging, but they're eating well and taking care of themselves and living a, you know, a gut, a gut friendly lifestyle, whether it's, you know, stress management, proper diet, those things, um, can aging play into that? Or is there always another trigger? I would say that the main thing that could happen with aging is that stomach acid decreases. So with aging, you may have issues around mm -hmm. that. But I also think that things happen to us as we age that we don't really intend to happen, yeah. but we our health habits tend to get worse, I yeah. believe. And, you know, for example, you maybe you eat a little bit of sugar, and when you're in your 20s, that's you can pull yeah. that off. You can pull off, you know, five beers on a weekend <laughs> night. 
But as you get into your 30s and your 40s, you start to develop a little bit of a beer belly. And then then you start to get visceral fat, and that starts to contribute towards fatty liver. Then your fatty liver is changing your metabolism, and you start to have downstream effects of that. So elevated blood sugar and you know then you then you're at more risk for candida so so there's all sorts of compounding problems that happen as we age also i think people drink start to drink more as they age and maybe exercise less they go through having kids they go through you know stages of life where they're just the demands on them are greater the stress gets greater as jobs become more responsible as they advance in their Mm -hmm. careers so there's all sorts of things that happen as we age unintentionally that I think hurt That's our That's interesting. Now, I've often heard that allergies start in the gut. Is there any truth to that? Well, I actually just did an entire episode on oh, that. Oh, okay. I'll have so to check they, that out. <laughs> they, certainly, they certainly can. So having a leaky gut is is a precursor to any kind of immune activation, right? So you you have pathogens escaping out of the gut and then your immune system is attacking them so so especially if you're talking with food intolerances that kind of allergies but even seasonal allergies could have their basis in the gut and one of the ways that that can the 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 gut can contribute is with something called histamine intolerance where you have foods that are releasing histamines so a lot of the foods have histamines like you're familiar with the idea of an yes. antihistamine yeah. right so so histamines are these substances in our body that are released by the mast cells and we have mast cells in the gut and certain foods have histamine in them certain foods have substances that trigger the release of histamine and then also when you have an overgrowth of bacteria in the gut you have bacteria that that release histamine mm-hmm. so Altogether, those three things can contribute to the release of histamines, which then can manifest as an allergic response. So if you're eating foods, for example, and you're immediately having a response to those foods that seems like an allergy, it may be because you have SIBO and you have an excess of histamine-producing bacteria in the gut, and then the food that you're eating is contributing, causing that problem to be greater. Do you do tests for histamine intolerance when it's necessary? No, there's not a super easy way to test for that, but you can just tell from symptoms and from the history and then also what's going on in the gut, whether SIBO might be contributing to histamine intolerance. And then another big risk factor is mold. If you've got mold in the house or a history of mold poisoning or sensitivity, then that's another big trigger of of histamines. Okay. Now, probiotics are very popular today. Um, you know, they, they started out in the functional medicine world, and now we see them in conventional medicine as well. A lot of docs talk about it. What are your thoughts on probiotics? Are they is there a time to use them? Are they just a band-aid like some researchers suggest? What's your take on that? So I've kind of gone through multiple phases of how I think about for probiotics because the research is still developing. And there was a big study that came out about three or four years ago in which they tested people going on antibiotics and what happened if they use a probiotic afterwards Mm -hmm. or didn't. And it actually took longer for their gut microbiome to recover and return to where it had been if they took a probiotic. Really? 
Wow. Yeah. And that was a big turning point in the use of probiotics. However, the people that I deal with have gut health issues. These are not people with healthy microbiomes to start mm -hmm. with. So... In those scenarios, I believe that there are certainly probiotics that can help positively shape their microbiome as they are going through rounds of antimicrobial herbs. I also think that it can, you can, if you don't have the supportive probiotics on board, that you can end up pulling so much bacteria out of people's bodies that they, some people are starting to lose weight and they're not able to absorb their calories because the bacteria are a good source of nutrients. Like they're producing they're pulling calories out of food that we can't eat. For example, fiber, mm -hmm. they're fermenting fiber and creating short chain fatty acids, which serve a lot of purposes in our body, among others, feeding the cells lining the large intestine. Right. So anyway, there's different types of probiotics. And there are probiotics that have been studied for certain conditions. And it's important to get the right probiotic. There are so many options out there. There's you know, the multi-strain lactobifido types. There's the soil-based, which are the bacillus mm -hmm. types. There are some that have a bunch of strains that are derived from human stool, like equilibrium. There are now some anaerobic ones being sold that previously, you know, it had only been aerobic bacteria that can live in the presence of oxygen. But now you can get Acromantia mucinophila, which is a an anaerobic bacteria that's, you know, lives in the mu mucus layer of the large intestine and helps keep that healthy. You can get um, Clostridium butyricum. It's a co company called Pendulum that has started to offer these anaerobic bacteria. And there's one called Pendulum Glucose Control because it turns out these bacteria that line the large intestine have a lot to do with your glucose metabolism and can actually help turn around type 2 diabetes to some extent. Wow. So it sounds like we're just scratching the surface on what we know about probiotics. And from, from what you're telling me, I don't even know where somebody would start without some kind of guidance. Yeah. And then I didn't even mention there's a probiotic yeast called Saccharomyces boulardii that's also very good to, to use. So yeah, they, they probably shouldn't. If you're, let's put it this way, if you're healthy and everything's going well, don't just pop a probiotic, eat probiotic yeah. foods, but don't, don't just take a probiotic yeah. for the heck of it. If you have a certain condition, sometimes you can see on the bottles, they put things like, you know, female care or mood. So that's probably not a bad idea to try if you are actually struggling with those particular conditions that they're trying to mm -hmm. target. But if you have a really impacted gut, you should probably see somebody and make sure you're taking the right strain for the scenario. Yeah. You have a ton of great information on your website. Like I, I went on there. It's highdeserthealthcoaching.com. And I... For somebody like me, I just geeked out. I mean, there's just there's just so much to read, and uh, I just appreciate all the research that that you do. And I saw like a plethora of different microbiome tests. Can you talk about some of those? We've talked about the GI map um, in the past on this podcast, but you have some other ones on there. Can you tell us about some of that? Sure. So yeah, the GI map is the one I use the most with people. And I like that one because it has the H. pylori test, which is the bacteria that causes yep. ulcers on there. And it's part of the regular stool test. There's the GI effects, which is a Genova test. And that one has different versions. So you want to get like the most comprehensive one that you can get. And that has add-ons for H. pylori, but it's not included. But that one uh, is different from the... GI map in that 
it has the short chain fatty acids mm -hmm. on it. So you can see your levels of butyrate and propionate and acetate and uh, more markers for fat in the stools. But, but basically all of these tests will have sections for yeast, for bacteria, for parasites, and for intestinal health markers. So it'll tell you about your secretory IgA, it's all about your pancreatic enzymes and whether those are sufficient. It'll look at certain markers of inflammation like calprotectin, which tells you whether you may have to worry about inflammatory bowel disease, which is Crohn's and yeah. colitis. And uh, EPX, which is another marker of inflammation. And uh, what else am I forgetting? The markers of fat in the stool, like steatocrit and, and some hmm. others. You mentioned H. pylori. Is that ever part of a normal microbiome, or is that always problematic when somebody locates that on a test like the GI map? It is definitely part of a normal microbiome if it's not overgrown. And when you go see your gastroenterologist with gastritis or pain in the stomach or what might seem like an ulcer or actually be an ulcer, and you get a test for H. pylori, inevitably it will be an endoscopy with a biopsy. Mm. And I cannot tell you the number of people that I have seen who have that and it's negative. And then I run a GI map on them or an H. pylori profile, which is just a subset of the GI map. And they have an elevated level of H. pylori because this is a DNA level test. It's a PCR test, just like the mm. COVID ones. right? So it's testing for the DNA of this particular bacteria and seeing if there's too much. And so I have tons of people who have overgrown, and then they have all the symptoms of H. pylori, which usually are, are gastritis symptoms, which is, you know, pain or burning in the stomach, and sensitivity to certain, like, acidic foods, and then sometimes constipation, and then often there's just all, all over body kind of inflammation-type complaints, insomnia, and just general malaise, yeah. and pain, pain often when they don't have food in their stomach, pain with an empty hmm. stomach. Hey, this is Mike C, and we want you to know that we only endorse products we truly believe in. We're an affiliate of best-selling author Dr. Carolyn Dean's RNA Reset Products, home of the famous Remag Liquid Magnesium Supplement. So when you go to RNAreset.com and make any purchases using the coupon code NATURALMAN, we get a commission. So if you like what we do, this is one way you can support the Natural Man podcast. Make your purchase now at RNAreset.com using the coupon code NATURALMAN. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So what about the breath test? Is that reliable for H. pylori? So there is a urea breath test, and I don't see a lot of people who've gotten that. But yes, that is reasonably reliable. There's also a stool antigen, and that's another way to test for it. But I prefer the H. pylori profile because in addition to telling you if they simply have an excess of H. pylori, and mind you, it's, it's testing what's in the stool, so it's not necessarily telling you what's in the stomach, but you know, they've standardized this for healthy people versus people with H. pylori. So they have some idea of what's going to come out in the stool if it's not, if it's overgrown in the stomach. 
but it, in addition, it has these virulence factors listed, and then it also has antibiotic resistance listed. So you can find out if you have a strain of H. pylori that has virulence factors for ulcers or stomach cancer. So that's the first piece. So you know, is this a really serious strain of H. pylori, or is this a more benign strain? And then you can see if I'm going to see a gastroenterologist and get an antibiotic for this, is there any resistance to certain antibiotics? Because there's already a good amount of resistance out there. And people, you know, don't want to take antibiotics that aren't working on the H. pylori, but are depleting the rest of their bacteria. So at least you want to get the right ones. And so sometimes people get in situations where they have to go on antibiotics. Um, I'm sure you've encountered that. I know I have as well, just in uh, the different people I talk to. Of course. And, you know, they always come with the side effects and they always impact us. What's the first thing somebody should do if they're trying to maintain their health and they have to do a round of antibiotics for a week or whatever it is? Um, What should they do to try to undo any of the damage that that weak run of antibiotics may have caused? So first of all, I would just observe a really good diet while you're on antibiotics, because as you start to kill off certain types of bacteria, other types of bacteria that are more pathogenic and can cause more problems can overgrow if you're feeding them sugar and white flour and, you know, starchy foods. So just have a really good diet while you're on antibiotics. Second, there's a supplement called butyrate, or the the best form of that is tributrin. And that is the best thing you can take while you're on antibiotics because it helps keep the lining of the large intestine free of leaks. And and the leaky large intestine looks like a large intestine that's pulling in oxygen. And you have different types of bacteria, right? You have aerobic and anaerobic bacteria. Aerobic can live in the presence of oxygen and anaerobic cannot. And then you have these facultative anaerobes, which means they can live in the presence of oxygen or can also live in an anaerobic Mm. environment. And the gram-negative bacteria, which are the ones that create this lipopolysaccharide, which is an inflammatory molecule that goes all over the body and creates inflammation, those will those are the ones that are facultative anaerobes, and they can live in the presence of oxygen. And it turns out that antibiotics tend to create or, or kill off the butyrate-producing bacteria and the, when you've got that butyrate feeding the cells lining the large intestine, that's their food. And then they're, and then it maintains that hypoxic or oxygen-free environment. But the antibiotics start to deplete those bacteria. And then in order to feed itself, the gut starts pulling in oxygen. And then you've got this oxygenated environment that favors these gram-negative facultative anaerobes, and they tend to overgrow. This usually leads to loose stool, which is that that antibiotic effect where people sometimes have loose stool or diarrhea while they're on antibiotics. So the best thing you can do is take butyrate while you're on antibiotics. So why do so many doctors today fall short when they're trying to help people with gut issues? Um, The people that visit you probably, I'm guessing, have often already gone to their primary care doc. Um, You know, there's countless stories out there. You've shared your own story. Um, you know, these people with serious gut distress, they have these food intolerances, they have these different things they're dealing with. Why has conventional medicine failed them? I would say the bigger picture is number one, there's not enough time and this gut stuff is complex and it requires a lot of time and thought. So there's that. The second piece is the whole method of what 
becomes the standard of care. So for something to become the standard of care, it has to go through rigorous scientific testing. It has to go through randomized controlled mm -hmm. trials. It has to have a lot of evidence and all that takes money. And if one of the biggest pieces of gut health is your diet, there's not a lot of money out there for studies on whether eating beans <laughs> is gonna it's gonna lead to a healthier yeah. gut yeah. right who's gonna who's gonna pay for that the bean <laughs> lobby no. no so so that's the problem yeah. right if it's not a pharmaceutical product there's not going to be the money for the randomized controlled right. trials so things aren't going to make it into the standard of care and then i also just think it's a a full philosophical way of approaching medicine right so the modern conventional medical system is more about treating symptoms and not getting at root causes. Yeah. So they may be treating your high blood pressure and your fatty liver and your um, excess cholesterol and giving you all the drugs that, that you take for that, right? But they're not looking at or, or, you know, they're handing you a quick handout about your diet, but they can't sit there and coach you through changing your lifestyle to get that diet under wraps or talk to you about the adverse childhood events that led to the fact that you have an eating disorder that then leads to you having a terrible yeah. diet. Talk about autoimmune conditions. You've dealt with this yourself in the past and, and how the gut plays mm -hmm. into that. I know the GI map has some autoimmune markers on there. Can you get into that a little bit more with us as far as the gut is concerned? Sure. Well, so just to first, the GI map question. So the only autoimmune marker per se there is the calprotectin, which would tell you if you have an autoimmune disease of the gut, which is like IBD or inflammatory okay. bowel disease, which is Crohn's disease okay. and colitis. So that's the only autoimmune marker okay. on that. There is a marker of your secretory IgA, but that's not an autoimmune marker per se. Okay. Uh, but basically for an autoimmune condition to exist, you need three preconditions. You need a genetic predisposition to that particular autoimmune disease. Then you need an environmental trigger and you need a leaky gut or intestinal hyperpermeability if you want to be scientific jargony yeah. about it. So the leaky gut often will come because of things like gluten, which a lot of people are sensitive to, even who are not celiac, because it causes an opening in the cells lining the intestine. There's also a lot of other foods that can cause a leaky gut if you're particularly prone to that. And that includes foods with lectins, although in general, those are healthy foods, but for some people, those are, they cause problems. And then nightshades, which you know are the peppers and eggplant and tomatoes and chili peppers and stuff and the spices that go with them. So some of those foods in particular, and then dairy too, are create holes in the lining of the intestine or opening between the cells lining the intestine. And that allows things to escape, which then those things that are escaping are what activate your immune system. So if it's undigested proteins, and often the gluten and the dairy are the ones that are undigested because they're bigger, more complex proteins, and then those are the ones that activate your immune system. And then those proteins resemble cells in your body. In the, in the case of gluten, that resembles the cells in your thyroid gland, which is why Hashimoto's thyroiditis 
is so common. It's one of the most common autoimmune diseases. And, and it leads to being hypothyroid. So a lot of people who are hypothyroid, probably 80% of them have Hashimoto's and many of them are undiagnosed with Hashimoto's. They just take their medicine and wait for their thyroid to slowly dissolve as your body attacks it. Whereas I completely reversed my Hashimoto's. So I have no antibodies anymore and haven't for wow. several years. That's wild. Yeah. Yeah. Do you... Uh... And you can yeah, do that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, a lot of people don't know this information, so it's it's great to have somebody like you on to explain this stuff. Um, now, are you a fan of uh, fermented foods for the gut? Absolutely. I make my own sauerkraut. Just had somebody on to talk about making sauerkraut and other fermented foods on my last episode. And I think that for people with a healthy gut who tolerate the strains that are in fermented foods, which tend to be the lactobacillus strains, then that's great. There's also some, some fermented foods have streptococcus strains. So, you know, you have to see if that's good ones for you. People with histamine intolerance in particular and histamine reactions probably won't do well with fermented foods, nor will people with big cases of SIBO because the lactobacilli tend to be difficult for them. But you can start with small amounts and see how you do, you know, like a a teaspoon of sauerkraut, for example, to start might be a good starting place to see how you do. But I mean, of course, most people have had yogurt and it doesn't seem like a big deal. But if you bloat when you eat yogurt, then that's a good sign. It's not for you mm, right now. Okay. And we touched on your health coaching and just on the personal side, like, how do you enjoy that? How, how do you like coaching people? Is it is it fulfilling? I love coaching people. It's one of the best jobs I've had. And I've had a variety of jobs. I started out as a French and Spanish teacher. And then I was an English as a second language oh. teacher. And I did finance for my dad's company for years. Finance? And HR. Wow. And then I, yeah. wow, you've done it all. And then I was, <laughs> I started a nonprofit advocating for healthier food in schools. So th this is like my fifth career. Yeah. So it it's, I, I love it for one thing because I work from home and I set my own hours and all my efforts go towards my own business. So I like that. There's nobody telling me what to do. And, and best of all, I'm not having to go sit in anybody's air conditioned box from the hours <laughs> that they determine yeah. for me, which is the part I hated the most. I like to sit on my couch with my laptop on my yeah, legs yeah. <laughs> or in my yard when it gets yeah, nice for out. Sure. But it's also just incredibly fulfilling to be able to help people sort out their health problems because I've been doing that my entire mm -hmm. life, whether I was educated <laughs> in it or not, whatever little piece of information I had, I was sharing it because I just have this, I think I got it from my father, this compelling need to tell people about their yep. health business. Yep. And now people are paying me to do it. So as yeah. opposed to being like, mind your own yeah. business. <laughs> That's great though. I mean, we need more people in the world like you because- um, health, health just seems to be like the general health of Americans just seems to be worsening on every level. Um, we're not getting disease metrics down. Um, even with all the innovation out there, people are sick. People aren't feeling well. People don't know how to eat properly. Um, there's so many things that pull us away from living a healthy lifestyle. And so I think we need more people that think like you, you know what I mean? Yeah. I actually think that people do know how to eat properly. I think if you take the average person, I think the problem is a lot more related to people's mental health and their inability to stop eating the things that they, I mean, and, and the food environment, which is, you know, we're absolutely inundated with unhealthy foods and 
they're constantly trying to reconcoct different foods so they come up with some superfood like acai and then they find a way to coat it with chocolate and put it in a bag at Costco. And I just, I just have gotten to the point where I'm like, don't even look at that stuff. Like they're just finding another way to get sugar in. <laughs> yeah, just exactly. Don't even look. Like there's nothing good for you here. Like eat your eat your seventy percent dark chocolate yeah. and call right, it a day. Right. Now, how's your? If you don't mind my asking, how's your discipline? Mine's not always the best. Chocolate's my weakness. Um, my wife gives mm-hmm. me a hard time about that sometimes. But uh, what's? Do you have any weaknesses, or yeah. are you just like? Straight, really? Oh, yeah. Okay, so I'm not. I'm in good company. Oh, I'm a total. Okay, I'm not. I'm in good company. So, is what you're saying? <laughs> yeah. One of the things about me is that because because I do have Hashimoto's, while I've reversed it from the from the antibody standpoint, I've always been somebody who's been cold, and my fingers and toes mm-hmm. are cold. And when you have a low body temperature, which I tend to do, you are more likely to have overgrowth of yeast. So so we're talking like in your digestive tract, overgrowth of yeast. And that yeast wants sugar. Right. So no matter how much I fight it, I am always somebody who yeah. wants sugar. But fortunately, there are some good replacements now. So you've got your sugar alcohols. They don't do great things for your digestion. Yeah, yeah I get messed up by at those. At least your body can't. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you don't want big doses of them. But like xylitol is a complete one-for-one replacement for sugar that tastes exactly like sugar. There is no aftertaste. There's no whatever. It tastes exactly like sugar. And you can put that in your recipes. Just don't eat like two pieces of cake if you put it in your cake and don't put the full amount of sugar that's called for because there's always way more sugar called for and things are way sweeter than they need to be to be good. So I just make my baked goods and use the xylitol in place or, you know, very small amounts of things like honey or if I can, you know, I might use stevia drops. So I use replacements that are healthy, at least, you know, insofar as they're effects on the body. Now, as I said, you do, you can get a little bit of loose stool from the xylitol or erythritol is another option that people use. Um, and then you get monk root extract too. That's another one that's new and is, is recently. Yeah, I'm seeing there's, that there's certainly ways to replace yeah, your I'm sugar. Seeing that everywhere. Yeah. So you see that in a lot of like the keto desserts and such. So, I mean, there are reasonable replacements. If it says keto, it's probably going to be something that's, that's higher in fat and lower in sugar or no sugar at all. So there's keto ice creams now. There's even, I mean, I eat a sugar-free coconut milk ice cream, you know, and I, I eat mostly gluten-free. Mm-hmm. Can you tolerate gluten? 98 Can you tolerate if you have it? I can now. It's not good for people with autoimmune diseases because it does cause that opening of the, of the, you know, intestine and letting out particles of gluten. So I certainly try and limit it. But if it's super high quality bread like that's gone through a full leavening process like the sourdough process you know it's like a 24-hour rise then i will eat that some of the time now but that's a that's a recent development i was i've been strict for like gosh it's been like eight years at least 10 years that i've been gluten-free and i still try and avoid it most of the yeah, time yeah i try to do the same i recently started you know just here and there having a slice of bread if i'm at a restaurant or something just to test the waters and uh yeah I seem to do okay. I even had, uh, I was at a wedding, um, I think last year and I had, I had like a piece of wedding cake and it had like, you know, I had like dairy all over it. I don't do dairy either. And, uh, and I was Mm -hmm. fine. And I was like, you know, you start thinking, hmm, maybe I can, (laughs) maybe I can have this more often. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Terrible thinking. That's sort of how I've gotten like, (laughs) 
well, things have gotten, you know, I mean, you, you want to live at the end yeah. of the day, right? The whole point of healing yourself is that you can actually live. So again, it comes to the quality of what you're eating. Like we have an incredible baker here. He's James Beard award-winning baker who has local grains and ancient grains. And he does this incredible ferment. And so I'm like, I'm willing to eat the barrio yeah. bread, right? But I'm not going to eat the crappy bread that you get from some other kind of place. And... You know, I, 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 for me, the reason I've loosened up more is because I was in Italy for two weeks this summer and pretty much ate gluten daily and ate dairy, you know, maybe every couple days. And I, right after that, I decided I'd come back and test my antibodies just to make sure they're still low. And they were. So I feel like I'm kind of past the danger Good for zone you. there. And, you know, Italy is a different story, yeah. right? No glyphosate. Am I right? On the, in the breads? That yeah. is true. So. That so celiac, true. people with celiacs go over there, they eat bread, they're fine. And they're like, wow, this is different. Uh, I don't is know that about right? That. Really? Have you heard <laughs> otherwise? I think if you're celiac, you need to avoid gluten. It's the gluten, not the, not gotcha. the glyphosate for celiacs. Now, for gluten-sensitive people, it may be that the glyphosate is playing a part. But some of the, actually, some of the ancient grains have been, there's, there was one study, I think it was Kamut, mm -hmm. K-A-M-U-T, and people with, which I think is also called chorus and, and people were able to digest that and not have bad effects. Who had Interesting. Interesting. Um, what's the hardest part of coaching? I, I know you enjoy it. It's fulfilling work. Um, but what are the challenges that come with it? What makes it difficult sometimes, if at all, if at all? So I would just say that sometimes people come at you with really complex histories and they've already seen a bunch of people or they've already tried a bunch of stuff. They're already on 20 supplements. And then somehow you're supposed to take this and you and you send them off for testing and you have tests that have, you know, you may have 100 markers you're looking at and you find out that they are low on omega-3s, they're low on magnesium. They're low on zinc, they're high in copper, or or vice versa. That they are low on a lot of amino acids. They're low on B vitamins. They have a fungal overgrowth. They may have something going with their adrenals if you've tested that too. And you've got ten thousand things that you want to suggest they do, and it's just too much for any human being to do at one time. So so and then. They start taking stuff and all of a sudden they'll say, they say, oh, I'm having a reaction when I take that. I can't take that. I can't take this one either. And so all of a sudden you're like, okay, all the tools that you are planning to use, you can't use. And they're reacting to stuff. And it's just too complex to unwind. Like sometimes you just find somebody whose situation is so complex, you just can't unwind it. Like they're too, they're too deeply sick. Do you have to turn them away and when so that I, happens? I don't turn people away unless I really think I can't help them at all. But I mean, sometimes there are people who, you know, they may come to me with 10 complaints and I could help two or three of them, but I couldn't help every single one of them because they're just sort of too deep in it. Or they don't persist through the process. Like they have a reaction to one thing and then they're just like, I stopped taking everything. And, you know, they don't even call you or tell you. They just stop taking everything and wait two months and they're, you know, a month and you follow up and they don't answer and then you follow up again. And so it's the people who don't work with you to refine things because, I mean, I'm totally open to changing things up and going, okay, so if you can't handle that, then maybe we just make a diet change or let's approach this other problem first, you know, or, or you know, just put this on hold for a while. 
and it's the people who don't come back to you and say, I'm having a problem, let's work together to solve it, that, that that's frustrating. You know, they just kind of disappear. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, you know, my heart breaks for people that get that deep into their illness because, um, oh, yeah. you know, I, I've shared my story on this podcast a number of times and, uh, you know, I'm familiar with yours, obviously, and uh, it's frustrating. Like there's that... There's that feeling of helplessness that you're going to see all these different docs and no one's really helping you and you're not getting better and then you just feel like the prognosis just worsens and worsens and that takes a mental toll um, on you. Mm -hmm. it, it, it affects your outlook on life. You know, it's difficult. It's it's just such a such an unfortunate situation to be in, you know? Yeah. 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 And I mean, a lot of people, it starts with the gut because once your gut goes out of whack, if you say you have low stomach acid, then you stop digesting protein. And protein does everything in your body beyond just making the tissues. It creates the enzymes, it creates the hormones. So if you stop digesting protein well, all bodily systems start to go right, offline. Right. And protein's always such a big part of a healthy gut diet, right? I mean, you can't. I yeah. believe it is. Yeah, and I think people people actually eat a lot less protein than they think they're supposed to. I mean, minimum is 0.8 grams per kilogram of body weight. If you're trying to lose weight, it should be 2 grams per kilogram of body weight hmm. a day, which is yeah. a lot. That's like eating three five-ounce steaks yeah. a day. Yeah, for, who does that? <laughs> for, you know, right, yeah. exactly. Do you or six Yeah, do, do you have um do you ever have vegans as clients and can they do, they, do you have a harder time with them, or is there are there good vegan options for people who don't eat meat? So I do have vegans as clients, and I will tell you a scenario that I often see, which is a constipated vegan. And the reason that is is because the fiber in beans and lentils and soy and all that, you know, the soy products, is food for methanogens, which are a certain, they're not actually bacteria, they're archaea, singular archaeon, and they are residents of our gut, ancient residents of our gut that produce methane. And so if you have methane smelling gas and constipation, you may have an overgrowth of methanogens. And if you have a vegan diet, you are feeding those, wow, that diet. Really? They don't like saturated fat and they don't like meat, but they love they love these healthy foods. And if you have somebody who's unwilling to change their protein source to meat, then how are they going to get protein and not simultaneously feed these methanogens? So that's a scenario I see a lot. And of course, obviously, there's nutritional deficiencies you can end up with as a vegan, you know, especially omega-3 fatty acids and vitamin B12. Um, so those are those are a couple of the big ones that you probably need to supplement with if you're. How do you vegan. test for fat organic? Uh, not sorry, not organic omega fatty acids. Do you do you run a lab for that or? So there's a couple different labs that I've used. There's one called the Metabolomics, and you can get fatty acids on that one. And then there's the Nutraval. Uh, that one requires a blood draw. I think Metabolomics is just a blood spot. But yeah, it's a blood test for the fatty acids, and it's an amazing panel. I mean, you've got your omega-3s, your 6s, your 9s, your saturated fats, your 7s, your trans fats. I mean, you've got an entire, I think it's like two pages worth of fatty acids. And then, you know, there's always, I see so many times I see problems in that area, and it's not just 
I eat too many omega-6s from the, you know, the processed seed oils and not enough omega-3s, but it's within the omega-6s. There's some that are inflammatory and some that are anti-inflammatory, and you may have problems with conversions between them because you're low on zinc or magnesium. So there's all sorts of complex things you can discover within the fatty acids, oh, wow. too. Um, talk about your podcast just as we uh, we wrap up. I know we're getting short on time, but I want you to I want you to plug it and tell people about it and how people can find you. Yeah. So it's called The Perfect Stool, Understanding and Healing the Gut Microbiome. And you can find me on all the major podcast players, or you can go to my website, highdeserthealthcoaching.com, and find the page for it there. And I put each episode up on the show notes, and there's a link at the bottom to play the episode if you want to just listen to it online. But most people have podcast players on their phones. I hope iPhones have default players, and then other Androids, you have to download an app to do that. But I think more and more people know how to do that now. For sure. Something like Spotify or CastBox yeah. or Google Google Podcasts. Or... Yeah, awesome. So, well, I'll make sure to include that in the show notes. And uh, this was a lot of fun. I hope you'll hang out with us again. Thanks for being here. Lindsay Parsons. Thank you so much you for bet. having me. You it bet. It was a pleasure. And that'll do it. We're out of here. Remember, subscribe to us and check us out at naturalmanpodcast.com. And we're also streaming on Fountain. I'm Mike C. Until next time, stay healthy. The Natural Man Podcast. Check us out. Naturalmanpodcast.com. Hi, I'm Emily Roger, and I host a leadership show called The Boiling Point with my co-host, Dave Vale. Together, we sit down with trailblazing entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers who are driving meaningful change in our world. The show is all about exploring the lives and perspectives of leaders who are making a difference. Join us for insightful conversations that challenge the status quo, spark new ideas, and inspire you to take action. Find us on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or at BoilingPointPodcast.com. Come on a journey like no other where you will discover many rogues that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga. Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey Into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at AveryRich.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.